Yeah, and the importance of community feels so big, right? There's a book that I read, um, I think it was called The Religion of Thinness. And one of the things that I took from that book was that the way that dieting culture um, serves that purpose of community for people, right? It gives people um, a system of, uh, of assessing right and wrong or um, giving a community, right, of people with shared goals um, in that instance, um, a way to kind of know if they're on track or off track. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a community there that, that, that dieting serves for people um, and that – so really I'm just saying the importance of community is, is really um, – it's really huge, especially if we're doing something that feels like it's against the grain or swimming upstream, that we need reinforced by people who are also doing the work of trying to think differently and affect change. Um, and we can't do this by ourselves. We can't do this by ourselves. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, I spoke to Carmen Cool, who is a psychotherapist, and she's based actually close to where I am in the Boulder, Denver area. And um, Carmen describes herself as somebody that works exclusively with people with binge eating disorder and um, cereal dieting um, and overeating. And she is a big fan of health at every size, so we talk about that quite a lot. Um, and many other things, a her, her bit of about her story into how Carmen got into doing the work that she does and the work that she's so passionate about now. Um, we also talk about weight stigma and feminism, actually. So lots of things in here, as always. It's just a conversation, so not too prescribed. And we get into some things that maybe you thought we didn't, so which makes it sort of fun. So um, the first question that I ask Carmen, as I ask all of my podcast guests, is to tell us a little bit about themselves. Here's Carmen. It's a big question. It's a broad question. Like some, uh-huh. people, some people start at childhood and, and get to present yeah. day. You know, like... How much time do we have for today? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, maybe um, I'll just start by saying I'm, I'm a psychotherapist here in Boulder, Colorado, and I work primarily these days with binge eating disorder Um I have run youth programs, eating disorder prevention programs in schools. I do a lot of speaking across the country and internationally about health at every size. I absolutely adore cupcakes, so I call myself a cupcake connoisseur. I'm just excited to be here. How How about how you got into doing what you're doing? Great. Okay, great, great, great. Um, So that goes back a ways, right? That goes back to my own personal journey and personal story. So maybe I'll just share a little bit about that. Wonderful. I think, gosh, it's hard to know exactly how far back to go when, when talking about the, these kinds of things, these stories. Um, you know, I can remember growing up, uh, in the seventies, um, where, uh, dieting was just, um, it was a thing, right, that, that all the adult women in my life were doing. Um, and I can remember, actually, my first moment of being unhappy with my body, and I was 10 years old, and it was that time after Thanksgiving when all the women had gathered together in the kitchen after the big meal, you know, my mom and my cousins and my aunts and my grandmother, and it was the first year we had the electric carving knife, which 
I thought was the best invention I'd ever seen because, you know, it was it was so easy. You just plugged it in and turned it on, and that blade just effortlessly sliced through the turkey. And I remember grabbing my stomach into my hands and saying, I wish I could slice this off the way we just sliced through the turkey. And when I think back, you know, um, there were a couple of things that I took away from that moment. And one was that everyone must just hate their body because everyone joined in with some version of me too, or wouldn't that be great? Or I'd like to do that to my upper arms or, you know, everybody joined in with parts of themselves they would like to just slice off. And another thing that I took was something around my belly really was too big because no one contradicted my statement, right? And no one was able to hear the feelings I was starting to have about myself that I wasn't even necessarily aware of. And then I also, I wouldn't have been able to put words to this at the time, but I also took something around how fast community could form around body hatred Um, and thinking about like, wouldn't it be great if we could start to form community around loving ourselves rather than wanting to dismember ourselves in some way. Um, So from there, I think um, history of dieting in my family, history of always feeling like I was too big. And it is true that my sister and I both grew up probably on the heavier side of quote unquote normal. Um, And then my, uh, my sister developed anorexia and I developed bulimia. This is the cliff nose version probably of this story. Um, And we both kind of went down the path of eating disorders and my sister died from hers. She died from anorexia around 11 or 12 years ago. And then I went into treatment in my, gosh, I think my junior year of college of undergraduate, my undergraduate degree, um, and came out of that. And, you know, in the process of treatment, I think the activist in me really got, the activist and the feminist in me really woke up. I came out of treatment with this deep desire to help shift attitudes around what bodies get to be okay in our in our culture and what bodies get discriminated against and get prejudiced kind of thrown their way. Um, so really interested in how do we make the world a safe place for all kinds of bodies to be in. And then I went to school to get my master's in counseling and just knew this was the place that I wanted to land and where I wanted to spend my focus. Wow, there's a lot in there. <laughs> there you can ask any follow-up question that you want. Um very interested in how you describe that first reaction when you're talking about the turkey carving so and you said that so really it was about the reactions of the people around you that in that moment sort of taught you it was normal Mm. that it was true or told you it was true Uh and also that there was some some form of community around body hating and saying those things yeah, right, because there was a way that everyone just instantly joined in the conversation, right? It was it was just this automatic joining around, wouldn't it be great if we could just slice off the parts of ourselves that we don't like? Um, and, you know, again, I don't know that I could have, I'm, so, I'm sure I couldn't have named that so clearly then, but when I think back, it seems like a really poignant moment to me. Um, I can think of a dozen off the top of my head examples when I have, Mm-hmm. younger felt exactly the same thing especially at school mm-hmm. in the changing rooms or whenever yeah. and and I've never you know I've always been a very body body positive person even though mm-hmm. I had anorexia but mm-hmm. so I, I, absolutely what you're saying and um 
there's some there's some positive reinforcement in there, isn't there, about saying things like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So what got reinforced is, yeah, my belly should be smaller. I mean, I think that's what I took away. Um, and that our lives would be better and we would be happier. Um, not, not only if, if we were smaller, um, but also if we could just get rid of what we don't like about ourselves, right? Like Mm. I'm thinking that now I wouldn't have thought that then. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. But nobody was quite aware of what I was really saying as being, I mean, I mean, really, I think back and if someone had taken me aside and sat me down and started talking to me about the feelings I was having about myself, you know, who knows what, what may or may not have ended up occurring, but, but nobody did that because everyone just joined in because hating parts of ourselves was a normalized kind of feeling and a normalized activity. And it's so interesting and I'm bumfuzzled as to why we operate like that. That's a great word. Can I use that? You can I love use that word. <laughs> and actually, there's a story behind that word. Um, Please. On the, <laughs> on the um, online, so I have this, this Slack group. It's a group for adults um, in active recovery. And uh-huh. we have a word of the day each day and bum puzzle was the word of the day today and I always try and use the word of the day you did it and I'm going to write it down that's such a great word okay what was your question <laughs> um you know why do humans why do we do that why do we positively mm. reinforce and sometimes I think though you, the community aspect is is a large part of it it feels good to agree with someone and say oh I feel like that yeah is, yeah but it's not helpful there's there is a place where a kind of a well-timed me too from somebody really can offer some relief and feels really good. Um, so, so I agree with that, right? There is a way that we want to um, join in and say, yeah, me too. Um, but there are places where it's the opposite of helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this feels to me like one of those places. Um, yeah. Like there's a difference between, yeah, I want to take off parts of myself also and yeah, sometimes I struggle with feelings about myself that I don't know what to do with. Like those two feel like very di- two different versions of the, yeah, me too. I, or I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Isn't mm. it funny how some memories stand out? Very much in so. In one's mind. Yep. And that one obviously <laughs> stood out in your mind. It really did. Um, like it, it's, it feels very vivid in my mind. Mm-hmm. So um, and then <clears throat> you said that you then went on to develop an eating disorder, bulimia. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in treatment that the feminist in you came out. Yeah. Yes, in treatment. uh, I remember the therapist that I had, um, who was herself a a much larger woman, used to say, or I remember her saying, um, you know, we can help. We can help people in bodies who don't conform, learn to love themselves, but they still have to walk outside into a world that hates them. And I've never forgotten that statement because my, my reaction to that statement was an instant like, well, then we have to go change the world. Like we have to go change the way bodies are viewed. This can't just be an individual healing. It has to be a cultural healing as well. So I very much woke up um, to that, uh, that activist kind of sense and the way that um, like why, why am I buying into all of these prescriptions about how I'm supposed to look and who I'm supposed to be and how loud I can be and how big I can be and how much power I can have and how much room I can take up. And then I got really pissed off. And I think that anger actually fueled the activist part of me as well. And thank God for that. I mean, mm. <laughs> you're, it's, that, that's, 
really um when when that therapist said to, that to you i mean that's that's also it's both relieving and terrifying isn't it yeah yeah very much so and it pissed me off like you know i someone asked me the other day what was the single most important factor in your recovery from an eating disorder and I could feel the ways I wanted to say things like, oh, it was compassion, it was self-love, it was kindness. But the truth is it wasn't any of those things. Frankly, it was outrage. And that was a, that was a, a strong motivator for me, um, that I got angry and that propelled me into want to do something. And that was really impactful for me. I often say that about you know my own eating disorder <laughs> as well. It was anger that made me want to get yeah. rid of anorexia. I was so angry mm-hmm. at it for ruining 10 years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it, but yeah. anger is, I think especially more so in, in the US, you sort of anger is a bad, it's thought of as a bad emotion. I, I, I've never actually really thought of it as a bad emotion. I just thought of mm-hmm. it more like it's a changing emotion, isn't it? <clears throat> if you're angry about something, you're very motivated to change that thing. Yeah, because I think the nature of anger is is to give us information about something in our life that isn't good for us, right? That it communicates a boundary that needs to happen or something that's going on that needs to stop. Um, that's what I think the function of anger is. And people get really scared of it. Um, and for good reasons, right? Like it, it can, when it's not skillful, um, it can be hurtful, but it can also be incredibly powerful and motivating um, and David White, who's a poet that I really like, has a has a poem or a writing about anger where he says anger actually is the deepest form of compassion. Um, and I love that. I actually love that quote. And it helps me a lot when I feel so much anger and I, I don't know what to do with it, um, that it's also compassionate. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And um, I think that especially in the climate in the United States right now, there's a there's a lot of anger about a lot of different things. And I'll say, you know, ignoring anger is not going to get anybody anywhere. It's there. It's there and it's going places. And the ability to take some action based Mm -hmm. on it, Mm -hmm. right, or in response to it, rather than just sitting and stewing in my anger, that's not helpful. Lashing out in my anger isn't helpful. But if I can say, all right, where's the boundary? What needs to stop? What can I do? What action can I take? Then that helps me feel like um, I have some agency um, yeah. in my life. <laughs> and it's such a mammoth task with the um, body acceptance. Individuals is one thing, but then health professionals is completely another. And Absolutely. I was speaking to somebody um, yesterday about a, a training that they'd done to become a dietitian, and said that that training was, looking back, incredibly fat phobic, and that mm-hmm. that person had to swim upstream in order to get to where they are now which is a health at every size approach um yes so if the training is training people (laughs) in in this mindset it's it's not just the individuals and kids at school you know saying hurtful things it's it's systemic yeah it's a systemic thing right and um i agree with you that we need much more we need different kinds and much more trainings available out there for people who want to shift their mindset about this, but also as a place of support, right? It gets exhausting to be against the grain all the time. So in my practice, I really come from a feminist perspective, a feminist base. Um, My training was also in transpersonal counseling. So kind of um, letting the spiritual weave in if it wants to or however it shows up. Um, And then very much a health at every size and body centered form of working. Um, So I was trained in Hakomi, which is a a somatic form of psychotherapy and really brings in mindfulness um, 
and the idea that the body is an immense source of wisdom and holds lots of information, if we can learn how to be in receipt of that information, um, that there's a way we can learn to partner with our body. Uh, and then the health at every size approach, which um, really is about, well, it's about a lot of things. Actually, it's a social justice approach to health, but it's also a way that I can take back my health practices from the medical model and I can do what works for me and I can eat and move in a way that feels good and brings me pleasure and brings me joy and helps my well-being. It kind of guides my choices around, you know, my weight doesn't determine my health. The health at every size paradigm is shifting as well. And so um, there's a way that um, it's been problematic when health has been the center of the paradigm. Like the reason that happened was to really kind of take back our health from the BMI, from the medical profession, right? Telling us that our weight was the barometer of how healthy we could be. But then when we've centered health, it also ended up that, you know, there are some people that will never fit into a tr traditional definition of health. And so we don't want to make that another hierarchy, or we don't want to say that somebody is more worthy if they're more healthy or if they're pursuing health in a certain way, um, which gets complicated here in Boulder, as you might know, right? Mm. The pursuit of health becomes this thing. So as I'm talking about health at every size, I feel like I really need to name that also, that people get to decide how they want to engage in healthcare and how they want to, or healthcare practices and how they want to prioritize that. And nobody is more worthy than anybody else, depending on their health status. Um, are you able to give me an example um, of, of what might say, say one of those factors be? Uh, what sort of um, health marker might be used then to create another sort of pedestal? Or an oh, okay. So in Boulder, that could look like, do I only eat organic food? I right? Am I, am I eating organic and local? You know, and that may be somebody's value, and that's great. And I eat certain ways, right, depending on um, how I feel and what I can. But, but in Boulder there becomes like a superiority to that. And there's a privilege inherent in that also. Um, so that can be a way that we look at each other about our health uh, or just even the importance that we're giving it, right? Like health is this pursuit in, in Boulder. For some reason, when you okay. said that, it reminded me of, because I don't have children, so I've never given birth, <laughs> but it reminded yeah. me of my friend who's got two kids and she, I was just appalled when she told me, because she'd, she'd had two cesarean sections, that there's a whole sort of attitude against, you know, like admitting, saying I've had a cesarean section. And yes. then, like, that's not good <clears throat> enough. You should have tried harder for a natural birth or something. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yes. what? <laughs> why, do we, why do women do this to each other? We police each other's choices and especially choices around our body and what's right and what's, what's the best. And, you know, it's like, gosh, I just want to make choices that feel good to me um, and feel good to me today, which may be different than the choices that felt good yesterday and yes. let my body be my best guide about what I need at any given moment. Yes. Um, and yeah. um, you're right. You know, it comes, the food comes into it. The privilege comes into it because if you go into say, you know, you're, Boulder, <clears throat> Boulder, any store in Boulder and they're selling yeah. these, you know, I don't know if they're the organic, organic. non-GMOs, Right, right. Um, no gluten, whatever they are, these chocolate balls that I've seen people eating, that if you pick up the packet, it feels like there's feathers in there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's sort of $10 a packet, and I probably yeah, need yeah. five in order to feel... Precisely, that in order to be anything. satisfied at all, yeah. There's, there, there's a certain amount of privilege to be able to buy packets of that sort of food and eat there's it. There's an enormous amount of privilege that's associated with that, yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, and to be clear, I'm not putting down the choice to eat those particular form of chocolate balls, but there is, there is a lot of privilege um, inherent in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand now. And so you, you say that the health of every size movement is shifting a little bit to take pressure off those areas. I think it's widening or broadening mm-hmm. to become much more, um, much more informed by social justice and to be much more intersectional in, in the way that it's, in the way that it's typically been used. Um, I think it was always set up to be that, um, but then it became kind of um, its own, uh, becoming its own kind of prescription. Like, are you eating intuitively? Are you doing joyful movement? You know, like people felt like they had to do health at every size, right? Which got away from the original intention. I so I think it's really about, you know, understanding social justice that, that prejudice and discrimination also are huge factors that impact our health. And so if we're talking about health, but we're not talking about those factors, um, we're really not talking about health at all. Um, does that make sense? Oh, you know, yeah, and it's fabulous. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, and, and I mean, I think um, there's a lot of confusion around what health of every size really means. I, I've certainly had people say to me, <clears throat> they they feel like when I say health at every size that I'm saying that you could you know like people could just that it's not unhealthy there can't be unhealthy if a person's overweight and of course mm-hmm. they can be unhealthy and overweight but they can also be unhealthy and a normal weight or unhealthy and underweight. absolutely exactly exactly yeah I'd be curious to know what other kinds of myths or pushback you've heard that maybe I could. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot. I, I have one person who um, I asked if she was using a health at every size approach, and she, she seemed to think that that was sort of saying that it's okay to have diabetes and eat your way to diabetes. And I was like, no, I don't think. You know, it's just that sort of thing. It, it, I'm not saying it's okay to have diabetes, which is associated with being overweight. There's not because diabetes may not be healthy. Um, you know, it's, it's just sort of that sort of thing. Oh, I think it gets, oh, there's so much in there actually. Um, I think it gets to this idea and it relates to what we were just talking about, that health is totally under our control, right? That, um, and it's not parts of it are right. There are things that I can do that help me feel better, but some things I can't control. Like the idea that if I eat right, whatever that is, right? I'm using quotes, scare quotes here. If I eat right, then I can, I can not get diabetes. Um, but there may be genetic factors involved. There may be all kinds of things involved in what things we get as we go through our life. But, but I don't think it's true that we have absolute control over all of those things. Yeah. Um, and someone who's diabetic, I, you know, there's just this moralizing that goes along with health and particular health conditions that are perceived to be um, nutrition sensitive or within our total control. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this idea that um, we're saying it's totally okay to just sit on the couch and eat chocolate all day long and get diabetes. Like there's just so many things wrong with that kind of um, statement. So yes, you were, you were right on that people of all shapes and sizes can get diabetes. People can be uh, at various stages of health or not, you know, un- less than healthy, right? De- at all different sizes, all across the weight spectrum. Um, 
and that our bodies just are naturally designed to come in different shapes and sizes, period. And you can't tell somebody's health status just by looking at them. I think that's the part that, that I feel so strongly about also. Um, just that we assume that someone is healthy if they look a certain way, um, and we assume somebody's unhealthy or on the path to becoming unhealthy if they look a certain way, knowing nothing about their history or their life or what they do. Um, and to me, that's just so fundamentally unfair and does it does a disservice to everyone across the weight spectrum. Like I've had teenagers come in and say, well, I don't have to exercise or eat right because I'm thin. Therefore, I must be healthy. Yes. Right? yes. Yeah. Um, and so an- another comment that um, I once heard from somebody was she wanted to follow a health with every size approach, but then she was given a message from her GP that she had to lose weight <clears throat> as soon as possible in order um, for a knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then she, you know, just this, this large amount of confusion, do I take this health with every size or, or do I take the advice from my GP and can I yeah. combine the two, <laughs> you know, which mm-hmm. is right, which is wrong. I think mm-hmm. that's what I actually hear from people the most a large amount of confusion they're giving one being given one message from one party another message from another party and they're in the middle and they genuinely do not know what to do oh right and this one is so hard um and again health at every size isn't something that somebody has to do right right or get Mm -hmm. correctly and but I, i i i hear just the position that people sometimes feel like they need especially if they really need a knee surgery right and and it's something that would that would improve their their life, and then the doctors are telling them that they have to they have to do something in order to have it. Like I just have so much compassion and anger, actually, at those kinds of mm-hmm. messages that people get, and it could be hard to sort all of that through. You know what I what I want to say back to physicians is what, what advice? You know what would you do if it was a thin person who needed any particular um, path of care, um, and why are we telling certain bodies they have to do certain things and other bodies? that they don't you know what I mean it's kind of hypocritical yeah, and it happens no, in it's so hypocritical and so this reminds me of another um person similar sort of situation um she she um was told by her doctor that she wouldn't be able to get pregnant because she was too overweight and that uh-huh. the solution would be she had to lose weight before they'd even contemplate helping her with any other mm-hmm. type of treatment but uh-huh. then somebody when I was emaciated <clears throat> underweight went to my um gp in england because i was not having periods and she put me on the pill rather never once did she tell to me you should gain weight you have to gain weight like my (laughs) weight then that i was given medication when actually what i needed to be told was to gain weight because that was due to me being underweight but i was given medication and and then you've got this other example where they don't actually, they haven't even tested. They don't know that her right. infertility is <clears throat> due to her weight at all. Precisely. They make the yeah. assumption and tell her first course of action is you just go away and lose weight, which was as easy for her as it would have been for me to being told you just go away and gain weight. You know, it's right. not going to happen right. easily. <laughs> it was a mental mm-hmm. illness. The automatic prescription to somebody that your problems will be solved if only you if only you just go lose weight first feels cruel, it feels prejudiced, and it feels unfair because also what is the person supposed to go do, right? If we know that weight loss diets don't work, 
then what are you, what are you actually telling the person to go do? Right? Like it's just not that it's just not, it's just not fair. It just doesn't even make sense. Like if there's some things that people could do to improve their self care, absolutely all for it. But to just say, go lose weight. Like I would, I'd be willing to bet that that person's been down that road several times. Um, and it's just not a prescription that actually works and ends up um, failing and causing more shame. And it just feels so, uh, it's so angering and sad to me, especially when someone is in this place of really wanting a child and willing to do anything in order to just have that dream realized. And there are support systems out there for women in larger bodies to have very healthy pregnancies and very healthy births. Um, and the idea that it can't happen is just not, it's just not true. And so, I mean, it feels uncalled for, but also I, to me, it, um, it now feels like just a cop out really, mm. you know, like I don't know what to do with you. Um, it feels unethical to me. Yeah. This is, this is something yeah. I can say. And because you, are in a larger body, you can't come back and ask me for more. I'm just saying, you know, lose weight. Mm -hmm. That's what you have to do. And there's definitely um, some, it feels accusatory as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like your fault, you're overweight, your mm -hmm. fault, you did this, go and sort it out rather than, you know, let's, let's, let's work on this. Let's, let's work with yeah. you. Let's help you. Right. Where's the partnership? Where's the relationship? It feels accusatory. It also feels like the doctor just, like there's so much implicit bias and stigma there in that statement. Like um, I'm only going to work with people in a quote unquote normal weight range because I know what to do there. And this is something I'm not comfortable working with. That's what it really sounds like to me. It's just the biases start to show. And so where do, where do we start, Carmen? Where do we, where start? Do we start? It's a really good question. It's a really big question. Um, and I would say we are starting. There's a lot of us that are starting and, uh, I think it's both I think it's both kind of taking our individual being um, into our hands and doing what we can do, but that's also not enough by itself, like we were talking about in the beginning. Um, this isn't just an individual solution because it's not just an individual problem. It's like how do we fight any form of discrimination? How do we fight any sort of systemic oppression? Uh, I don't think there's an easy answer. Mm -hmm. There's not an I'm, I'm, there's not an easy answer. I just know that I'm deeply committed to it, and you know, doing what I can where I am, um, teaching young people to use their activism to to kind of grow up their activist voice and be heard. That feels like a place that really works for me in terms of channeling my energy. Mm -hmm. um, trainings for healthcare providers is a place to start to do that. Coming together and forming communities around this is a place to do that. I think that's one thing that um, Health of Every Size really has achieved. Um, I, I know that people, and especially because there's the online portion of the community, people mm -hmm. actually really do feel that they can belong to a community of shared values. Mm -hmm. where they won't be judged, where they can actually ask questions and not be judged yes. on those questions. Yeah, and the importance of community feels so big, right? There's a book that I read um, I think it was called The Religion of Thinness. And one of the things that I took from that book was that the way that dieting culture um, serves that purpose of community for people, right? It gives people um, a system of, uh, of assessing right and wrong or um, giving a community, right, of people with shared goals um, in that instance, um, a way to kind of know if they're on track or off track, 
You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a community there that, that, that dieting serves for people. Um, and that, so really I'm just saying the importance of community is, is really, um, it's really huge, especially if we're doing something that feels like it's against the grain or swimming upstream that we need reinforced by people who are also doing the work of trying to think differently and affect change. Um, and we can't do this by ourselves. We can't do this by ourselves. And, and the community aspect, I mean, <clears throat> for just from what I've seen happening in the online, like the, the, as I said earlier, from where the word bumpers mm-hmm. came up, the, yeah, the yeah. online community there, it's what I think is really strong about community that's focused on swimming upstream like that is focused on let's mm-hmm. gain weight like help me gain weight i need to gain weight because it's you know majority of people with are in there with anorexia and trying to weight restore um mm-hmm. it's um it's like the the eating disorder is with you 24 7 it's 24 7 giving you the messages that are not good to hear so mm-hmm. when you've got online communities as well that are chipping away with the positive messages it's it sort of just um you can almost brainwash yourself the other way because the eating disorder mm-hmm. brainwashes you into the wrong track of thinking you can just mm-hmm. throw yourself into a community where the messages are all the positive messages that you should be telling yourself all the time but it's so much more difficult to tell them to just repeat them over to yourself in your head when you see other people writing them then it, I, I think it really enhances and makes things a lot easier and helps them stick in the brain. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. it's, um, it's, it's a difficult that you, but also, you know, interest me that you said that you, you got into being a feminist or feminism uh, uh-huh. at the same time. And they are, it's, I mean, um, health in every size isn't just for women for sure, but. Oh, of course not. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. definitely, there's, that that weight stigma is definitely worse for women, um, and I think that it, it is the way that we the prescription of what a woman's body should look like. I think is the main part. Yeah, I think um, I think any message or ideal that tells us there's one. Well, actually, let me change that. I think when there's when there's one ideal that we're supposed to achieve that's harmful for people across the gender spectrum and across the weight spectrum. Um, and it's really kind of, uh, this process of continually coming back to actually what's my truth. What's my truth? What works for me? What fits for me? Um, you know, uh, I have this inner rebel. Um, and a lot of people that I work with that's been eating, have it too, right? This part that says, you're not the boss of me. You don't get to tell me what I can and can't do. You don't get to tell me what I need to look like. You don't get to tell me what I can and can't have. Um, like I get to define that for myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you say that um, most people that you, you see, you think they, they have this inner, inner rebel. Um, I do. Over the years, is there an um, underlying sort of similarity like that that people come into your office that you see and whether, whether so, it be a, a trait or a, a thought mm-hmm. process? Or I think it's a good question. I think it's one I actually would need to think a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. I think I'm naming this one because I'm, I'm super interested in it right now and, and it seems to be what I'm paying the most attention to, this, this quality of 
rebellion. Um, and, and it's not that, that everyone is able to name that or even considers themselves some kind of a rebel. You know, a lot of people don't. But they do recognize that quality of when someone tells them what to do, they get mad. And, and sometimes they want to do the opposite. Um, you know, uh, can I cuss on this podcast? Of course, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. Um, uh, there's somebody that I work with that we talk about it as, um, you know, or she was eating dinner and her husband was looking at her kind of like with that raised eyebrow. Didn't say a word, didn't have to of judging the things she was eating and she left and she went out to a restaurant and she got french fries and so we were talking about the french fries and what what they were and she's like those were fuck you fries um so is you know that process of like and i know this for myself whether it's about food or whether it's something else if you tell me i can't do something that's the very thing i'm gonna go try to do um and i love that i think there's a healthy impulse in there just that then we're still not free when we're doing that because we're kind of caught in that trap of either rebelling or complying until we can really let go of all of that and find um, find that place of this actually is what feels right for me and it's not in reaction to somebody else in either direction. Um, yeah. That's hard to do, right? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's hard to do, but I, I think um, if I was ever to be asked what song took me through sort of my, my anorexia recovery, it would be um, Rage Against the Machine, Fuck You, I Won't Do What You Tell Me. Yeah, <laughs> that was really what was playing my head the whole time I was battling with my eating disorder thoughts. Just mm-hmm. like, it was that, you know, that's bringing the anger back into it as well. Like, I'm not going to do what you tell me. We don't like to be controlled. And so I think there's a healthy impulse into saying, no, I want to be free. You know, I want to be free. Um, it's just sometimes the things we do in order to get free keep us caught. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I hear that word a lot. I, you know, I just want freedom from my eating disorder, but then also freedom from, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, most people I talk to have anorexia, but freedom from right. my eating disorder. But then I also want freedom from the rest of society that's telling me I should look a certain way, which is mm-hmm. kind of why I keep falling back to the, the, the eating disorder because I get scared when I think mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, I'm, you kind of, it's, a, it's a kind of like can't win situation. I think for feel, a lot of people feel when they're in recovery. Um, you know, and freedom is definitely the word that place in the middle where you know it's mm-hmm. you're doing doing what you need to do. I'd love to um, just talk a little bit about um, what you what you love most about what you do. Ah, that's a beautiful question. I love so much about what I do. Um, and I think it relates to freedom, actually. Like, I love supporting people and getting free. <laughs> I think maybe it might be that simple. Helping's not even the right word. I love being part of the process mm-hmm. of somebody finding their truth and living from their truth um, and, and determining what freedom and health looks like for them um, and getting that there is another alternative to how we do this whole food body movement thing. Um, and there's an alternative that's much more peaceful and um, brings ease and satisfaction um, and that they can find that for themselves. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's a lovely answer. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask you one more thing and I just thought of it, but so it, okay. it might not be a question that you're either interested in answering or, or can, but 
with what's going on in sort of the uh, i don't really want to talk about politics but the way that things are going uh, pretty much both sides anybody in america (laughs) regardless of whose side you fall on is stressed Mm -hmm. about what's going on yes and so that's I true. Guess what, I, what, I, what I'm asking, I think, is do you think you've noticed any um, changes due to the stress of the environmental stress of, of being in America right now as to, you know, how, do you think that's triggering for people with eating disorders? Have you seen any any evidence of you know, an mm-hmm. increase in people needing services? That sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. I think I think you were right. It's increased stress and anxiety in, in so many people, whether they have eating disorders, disordered eating, um, or not, not, right. That the, the collective stress and anxiety is higher. And I absolutely think that people are using whatever coping mechanisms they have. Right. So in my practice, which is a lot of kind of using, turning to food to deal with stress, um, it's absolutely there. It's absolutely there, whether it's people, um, I mean, I've done it, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, there, there is this way that uh, we're just reaching for anything to help us get through. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to my physician about that actually last week. Like, like for her, seeing people with, um, like if they have IBS um, or digestive issues, those are, are stronger in people right now. All the kind of stress and anxiety-related things are very much highlighted um, I, I think it's really just kind of reaching out and reaching our hands and our arms out to each other and helping us get through in whatever ways that we can um, for the long haul here. Carmen, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find mm-hmm. out more about you? Great. So my website is CarmenCool.com. Um, and you can find me there. You can find me online, social media. I'm mostly hanging out on Facebook. I don't do Twitter that much. Um, happy to have people um, visit me on my website. Send me an email. It's Carmen at CarmenCool.com. Pretty easy to remember. And, uh, yeah, would love for people to be in touch and hear any reactions, questions, feedback, pushback, whatever whatever this might have sparked for people. Yeah. Um, and then the most important question is, how did you get a name like Carmen Cool? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, it's funny you asked me that because I just pulled out the other day when I was at Naropa getting my master's, we had to take your family systems, right? And part of our assignment in that class was to go back and research our own lineage and where we came from and our own family system. And in that process, I found a book, a very thick book of some genealogy. And so it used to be, my name used to be KUHL back in the 1700s. Um, and then when, I forget who it was, it might have been Emanuel Kuhl came over um, in the 1700s from Germany, the name switched to C-O-O-L. So that's where it came from. I bet you get asked <laughs> that all the time, don't you? Several times a day, yep. <laughs> and that was my discussion with Carmen Cool. You can find out more about her in the show notes. I linked to um, the, her website and things like that so that if you want to get in touch, you can reach out to Carmen. Really enjoyed the conversation I had with her. We spoke a lot about um, the community that can either surround us in our expression of dislike for our own bodies or can surround us with expressions of acceptance and 
like for our own bodies and also encouragement to eat and be a human being rather than a um, prescription of a human being or an idea of a human being that somebody somewhere thought up that just actually isn't relevant actually to, to being human I think sometimes. Humans eat food and humans enjoy eating food and we also laugh and we make mistakes and we have fun and we swear. Oh and did I mention that we eat food? But anyway, um, the point being, we're social animals. We're individuals for sure, but we're social animals and other people do affect us. That's just the way it is. Politics affects us, even if you're not into it, it'll affect you because it's upsetting your mom or your dad or your best friend or your husband. So it's gonna affect you. And um, other people's attitudes to themselves affect us as well. If it's sort of normal to say, I hate my thighs and I hate my butts, then sometimes we maybe just say that we're not even thinking about it or believing it we're just saying it because that's what we're supposed to say right and some people genuinely do feel that way about their bodies and that's why they're saying that those are people that need positive reinforcement and a little bit of help to see that they're actually lovely just wonderful as they are but I do think that the community of the people that you surround yourself in with can have a very profound effect on the way that your own thought patterns work and um, this is why it's important to surround yourself with positive people and people that say the sort of things that you want to say yourself and believe yourself and be yourself um, because it, it rubs off. It really subconsciously does. Um, you know, the way that you think and feel about yourself and your surrounding environment and your situation can be affected over the long term by the people with whom you surround yourself. And so if you are in recovery from an eating disorder, whether that's anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, or an unspecified, um, just to have a look at where you are and what you're surrounding yourself with. And I'm talking about social media most because that's where it all comes in. And you might have to go through your friend list and think, do I really need to follow this person? Do I, do I want to see that? She's always going on about, oh, I need to go to the gym because I just ate something, blah, 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 noise, noise, noise. Do you really need to listen to that? Do you need to read it? Probably not. Is your life going to be any the worse for not seeing that kind of thing? Again, probably not. I sometimes think that just to check in with what's going on in my environment, who am I talking to, who am I reading, who am I watching? Is this giving me a positive message? Is this the kind of thing that I want to see in the world? And the luxury of social media is that you can turn things off. You can mute people, you can unfollow people. And although it may seem like a cop out sometimes, hey, you know what, you only live once and we all have a lot of things to deal with. So if reducing your friends list on Facebook just so that you can come out of the end of the day feeling a little bit happier is what you need to do, I say you only live once, go for it. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, speaking of social media, I hope you're not all going to unfollow me now, I've said that. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, the, um, my Twitter handle is at love underscore fat underscore. You can tweet me there if there's anything you want to talk about, any podcast topics or people you would like me to interview, then reach out to me. And if you feel so inclined, um, give us a five-star rating. Give this podcast a five-star rating in the iTunes store. And that just helps other people find it. It means that when they search in iTunes for eating disorder podcasts, this one might come up. So if you found it helpful and you want other people to potentially find it helpful as well, 
giving us a five-star rating can really help people find us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers and cheerio.